millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone, and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. My name is Dev Raga, and in this episode, we will consider the massive and a common question, do you invest any spare cash or pay off existing debt? Now, I covered this way back in 2018 in episode 12, and we will cover it again in detail today. If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. The first one is to be educated. To be educated means improving your financial literacy. And that's really important because that leads to the second aim, which is to be empowered with that knowledge so you can take it to your appropriate advisor and speak at a level that both of you can understand in. The third aim is to be entertained. Now to the main topic, invest or pay off debt. Is there a general philosophy or rule of thumb that people can use and then apply it in their own lives? And I'll take you through um, a step-by-step approach. There's about six steps in this. Now, first of all, why is this question relevant? It's relevant because there are so many people in this exact situation. I see this question on various online forums all the time either with consumer debts or personal debts or investment debt or home mortgage debt. So it's a really valid question. They've got a bit of spare cash and they don't know whether to invest it or to just pay off some of their debt. So what do you do with that spare cash and how to maximize the returns on that spare cash? Now, the caveat here is always where possible, maximize your super contributions because it's tax effective and it has long-term growth potential, and it's very difficult to touch it and utilize the money. There are only a handful of circumstances where you can actually touch your super before retirement age. And in terms of fees for superannuation, generally speaking, how much should it be? Well, my general rule of thumb is I want to try and keep the fees less than 0.5% overall. If you're paying superannuation fees more than 0.5% overall, you've got to ask yourself, what are you getting in return? If you're under 0.5%, then I think you're doing reasonably well. Now, what are the general principles when you consider the question whether to invest or pay off debt? There are six things that you need to look at. Number one is, what's the investment returns that you're going to put your money on versus What is the interest rate on the debt which you would have paid off? Number two is, what is your risk tolerance? And that depends on a few factors, and we'll go into that later in the episode. Number three is, what's the tax situation? Is there a tax effective or tax optimization that you could do? Number four is, how long do you have? What is the time until your retirement? What is your investing runway? Number five is, what happens if you have a windfall? 
So that's probably a lot of questions that come through. They've got you know a significant amount of windfall or a tax return. What are they going to do with that money? And step six or point six is, can you refinance and just consolidate your debts to reduce your overall interest rate, which means your repayments are less, which means you can invest more. Now, let's look at each of these factors in detail. The first one is investment returns versus debt interest. If your investment returns exceeds the interest you're paying on your debts, then it makes sense to invest. Now, if you have consumer debt, like credit card debt, for example, it's almost always going to be beneficial to get rid of it first before you invest any money. If you think you can beat the market in terms of beat the amount of interest rate that you're going to pay on your credit cards and borrow money from the credit card or use money that you have existing and try and beat that credit card interest rate outside in the investment world. And if you think you can do that consistently, you're very brave. Most people can't. Now, the other thing is investment returns are not tax-free. Sometimes they're taxable, especially if you get dividends rather than just capital gains. And even if you get capital gains, they're taxable as well, depending on when you sell your positions on the investments. So to highlight this point, let's use an example to highlight it. Amy is a 39-year-old physiotherapist who earns about $110,000 per year. She has credit card debt of $6,000 at an interest rate of 16% per annum. Her after-tax monthly income is around $6,429. This means her pay-yourself money is around $1,285. That's the 25% of after-tax income that Amy decides to put aside for her own retirement. Now, Amy has been using that money to invest it into the broad market ETF. The returns on this over the last seven years, she's noticed, has been about 9.6%. Is this a good idea? And the answer is absolutely not. Let's assume her returns are pure capital gains and there's no zero dividends, right? There's no dividends that she's got. So her capital gains on the ETFs has been about 9.6% per annum. Essentially, Amy has been paying interest at a credit card of 16% and getting an investment return of only 9.6%. Rather than doing this, it would make complete sense to pay off her credit card. She's got enough money. She earns a good income. So if she had done that with her pay-yourself money, it would have only taken her 4.6 months to pay off that credit card debt. Now, if she did that for every dollar she pays off the credit card debt, her return on that money instantly is 16% per annum. In other words, paying off debt is just like getting an investment return where that return is the same as the interest rate. And that's after-tax returns. So if you have consumer debts, pay it off. It almost always doesn't make sense to invest if you have consumer debts. And the other thing about this is that had Amy paid off the credit card, it's guaranteed returns. There's no speculation. The credit card statement has 16% per annum interest on it. So she doesn't need to worry about losing any of her money. Now, what about debts which are tax deductible? This is really tricky and comes down to what you want to do in your life. Investment debt is usually tax deductible. Now, this means that any interest on borrowings can be claimed as a tax deduction. Therefore, depending on the interest rate, 
it may not make financial sense to pay off investment debt before you start investing. In other words, if you borrow money to invest, then you probably don't want to pay off that investment debt and you take the money and invest it. Now, the general rule of thumb here is you want to maximise deductible debt where possible and minimise non-deductible debt. By deductible and non-deductible, I'm talking about tax deductions. So what about debts which are not tax deductible, like your personal home? This is an interesting question. The key here is your home mortgage is not tax deductible, at least in Australia. In other countries, it is. I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the United States, you can actually deduct the cost of your own home um, in your taxation, whereas in Australia, you can't. You can only deduct um, any loans or costs on loans which you take out to invest, which generates an income, or you're investing that money. So, in Australia, this means that when you sell your home, that is your own home, whatever capital gains you get is usually tax-free. You don't pay any capital gains tax on the home that you're living in, at least for now. And that, that, might, that might change in the next sort of 10 or 20 years' time. But for now, if you sell your own home, the profits that you make, you keep. So paying off your mortgage debt is not the same returns as your stock market returns, because in stock investing returns, you need to factor in taxation. That's a very common mistake that a lot of people do. So let's use an example to discuss this specific point. Again, going back to Amy, who's a physiotherapist, earning $110,000 per year. She has a home mortgage, you know, of about $500,000, and that's her principal place of residence with an interest rate of about 2.5%. Her monthly principal and interest repayments is around $2,000. Now, if Amy has a spare 10K, what should she do with that money? Should she invest it or pay off her home debt? Is there a formula that she can use to figure out how much returns she would get if she paid off her mortgage with that $10,000? And that means, you know, actually paying it off into the mortgage or just having it sit on the offset account, which um, offsets the interest uh, on the cost of the mortgage. Now, to calculate this, we need to know her marginal tax rate. And in this case, let's assume her marginal tax rate is around 32.5%. Now, the formula for this is real return of paying off your mortgage is your interest rate, which is a mortgage interest rate, divided by one minus marginal tax rate. It gives you a rough indication of how much returns that you're going to get if you put money into your offset account or pay off your mortgage. So in this case, using real numbers, the real return of Amy paying off a mortgage is 2.5%, which is the mortgage interest rate, divided by one minus 0.32, which is a marginal tax rate. So in other words, it becomes 2.5 divided by 0.675, and I'm getting really geeky here, but the answer to that equation is the real return of Amy paying off her mortgage or putting in the offset account of that $10,000 is around 3.7% per annum. It is not 2.5% per annum. It's actually more than that. Now, it turns out the higher the marginal tax rate is for Amy, the more beneficial it is for Amy to pay off her mortgage based on the equation. 
So Amy's real return in this particular scenario is 3.7% if she threw $10,000 into a mortgage. But we know over the long term, the stock market is likely to get a better result than 3.7%. So using this formula, Amy kind of figures out that it's better to put her money into the stock market for the long term rather than pay off a mortgage. And of course, nothing is guaranteed and she's basing a decision based on historical returns versus what she can currently get with a mortgage. So in other words, Amy's decided to take a risk by going to the stock market. Essentially, she's foregoing a guaranteed rate of return if she chose to pay off a mortgage. What about interest-free debts or similar, like buy now, pay later schemes? Now, this is where it gets really tricky because I think generally speaking, they're not actually considered credit because they don't charge any interest, although that definition may change in the future. So what if Amy had buy now, pay later payments? Does this count? Now, my feeling on buy now, pay later schemes is I'm not a great fan of them. I have a very simple philosophy in life. If you can't afford it now, just don't buy it. It's not a radical concept. And I note that a lot of buy now, pay later companies, they're going into restaurants, they're going into holidays, even at the pub. You can drink now, pay later, which is a bit odd. I think it can have disastrous effects in your personal finance and it just sets you up for bad behavior. So please don't buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay now. So if you have some spare cash, please pay off those installments ASAP. I'm not sure if there's any penalty for some of these companies if you pay them off quicker than the three or four installments that they offer. But once you pay it off, just don't, you know, go with them again. I just don't understand the concept of buying things that you kind of don't have the money for now. Now, I'm not talking about buying investments. I'm talking about largely buying consumer items or consumer services that, you know, always loses value over the long term. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now, what about risk tolerance? 
That's really important when you factor the equation of investing versus paying off debt. Now, in Amy's case, where she has an option to pay off a mortgage versus investing, it comes down to the risk tolerance. The things which affect risk tolerance is age and stage of life. Now, in this example, Amy is only 39 years old. I didn't really give you more factors about what a family situation is like, how many kids she might have, or whether she's partnered or not, etc. But supposing she was 59 years old, then I'd be very nervous for Amy to enter into her 60s with a debt of $500,000. That was for her principal place of residence. Now, mathematically, it kind of still makes sense for her to invest in the stock market, but from a risk perspective, the number one goal of any retiree as they're near retirement, or at least preservation age, is to pay off their debts, all debts, including household debt, before retirement. The way I explain to people about debt is, it's like swimming with a weight attached to your leg. You can still swim, and it's still possible to make the other end of the pool, but the person who doesn't have that weight attached is always going to be at a significant advantage. And basically what risk tolerance is, is the degree of variability that the investor is willing to withstand in their financial planning. It's as simple as that. And that leads to the next question of tax optimization. Now, we briefly touched on this before about tax deductible debt. Is it worth paying it off? Ignoring risk tolerance for a second, paying off tax deductible debt is probably not priority compared to investing. Generally speaking, where possible, pay off non-deductible debts off first. And of course, think about your risk tolerance as well. So again, coming back to the example of Amy, reminder, she's a 39-year-old physiotherapist earning $110,000 per year. She has a home mortgage, which is a principal place of residence of $500,000 with an interest rate of 2.5%. She also has an investment home loan, let's say, of $300,000 at an interest rate of 2.75%. Her monthly repayments for her own home is around $2,000. I think it's around $1,986 when I calculate it. But let's keep the figures as simple as possible. So the repayments, principal and interest, is $2,000 for her own home. Her monthly repayments for her investment home loan is $1,225. That's also principal and interest. And the principal component of that is $537. And the interest component is around $688. And her monthly rent is around $1,000. Now, let's assume that they've got at least 25 to 30 years of their home loans to go. Now, if she has a spare $10,000, what should she do? Now, we've already figured out that a tax rate is 32.5%, so a real return on paying off a principal place of residence, we've done the calculations, and is around 3.7%. Her yearly rental income is $12,000, her yearly interest on her loans is $8,256, and her real estate fees, agent fees, maintenance, body corporates, repairs, not capital expenditure, all amount to around $5,000. Therefore, her total cost of owning the rental property is $13,000. $256 and therefore her costs exceed her income and she's in the negative of about $1,256. So she can then claim the $1,256 against her income so she can reduce her taxation. These are all very rough figures here. 
And we know that her tax rate is around 32.5%. So effectively, she can claim 32.5% of $1,256 back in her taxes. And this equates to around $410. This isn't much for the whole year. And that's because Amy's rental property actually has a good rental yield. And that's a good thing. Now, if Amy chose to pay off the investment home loan, essentially her ability to negatively gear the investment reduces, which means potentially she may end up in a situation where her investment rental property generates rental income, which outweighs her expenses, which means she will need to pay tax on the surplus income. So in this particular case, it doesn't make sense for Amy to pay off her investment debt. It may make sense for Amy to invest outside um, in a stock market or even pay off her own principal place of residence. So hopefully that sort of clarifies about tax optimization. And again, to sum it up, try and maximize your deductible debt if you've got a long-term investment horizon and minimize your non-deductible debt. Now, the other thing I guess is time until retirement. That's your investing runway. If your investing runway is long-term, and in my view, long-term is at least 20 plus years, then most of the time taking any surplus money and investing it makes sense, provided you don't have any high interest consumer debts and that you take good decisions about your investments. You're not going to go buy Shiba Inu coins or you know cryptocurrency and take your hard-earned money and put it into that um, as your you know stable investments because they're not very stable. They're very volatile. So over the long term. If you you know want to invest in broad market ETFs in the stock market, it may actually work out better for you, provided you've got that investment runway. If your investment runway is short, like five years or less, then it's absolutely vital you pay off any debts you have. So you don't want to be in your 55, 56, 57 or 60s and have debt at all, whether it be investment debt or personal debt, in my humble view. Maybe I'm a little bit conservative on this, but... When I talk to people, I talk to a lot of people that have just been burnt by debt. If they didn't have debt, they would sleep better. The water would taste better. The air would smell better. It's as simple as that. And personally, I feel it's an unmitigated disaster if you're nearing retirement and have debt. So the more time you have until retirement, the more options you have in terms of investments and therefore the more risk tolerance you may have. Now, what about if you have a windfall? How do you manage that? Do you invest or pay off debt? Now, if you have a windfall like an inheritance or bonus at work or maybe a tax return, the same principles apply. If your debt interest is higher than what you can get investment returns, it makes sense to pay off debts, particularly consumer debts. It's as simple as that. Remember, debt repayment, the return on your money, is guaranteed. Whilst investment returns is not guaranteed and it's potentially speculative. So you don't know what might happen to your money if you invest it. To give you an example, supposing you had this question in January of 2020 and you had some debt that you wanted to pay off, let's say a personal loan. And you say, you know what? The personal loan interest rate is only 4%. So I'm not going to pay off that personal loan. I'm going to invest it because historically the stock market has returned around 10% over the last 40 years. And you did that decision in January. You may have regretted it in March when the market fell by 30%. And if you hopefully were 
you know, interested in finances, you would know that it's good to invest when the stock market is cheap. So you would have applied more money into it. But I assume you don't have much money left because you put all the money in straight away and you might have panicked. So again, investing is for the long term. It's not for the short term. And it's completely acceptable to have peace of mind and just pay off your debt. There's nothing wrong with not having debt. And that's why personal finance is very personal. So I get this question a lot and I say to people, if it means that you're going to sleep well, if it means that you've got a secure home for your family, if it means that your family have a roof over their head and you want to pay off your home loan, that's completely fine. But with that comes an opportunity cost. And the opportunity cost is that you could have taken that money and put it outside of that in your superannuation account or in an index fund or in the stock market and get higher returns. But that's not guaranteed. So it all depends on what you prefer. Now, what about debt consolidation? It's a common topic that I get. I've done an episode on it uh, in my previous life as Dev Raga Personal Finance. So go back and listen to it. I don't know what episode it is. Um, I think uh, I think it was episode 30. I'm just looking at it right now. Um, and I did cover it quite in detail. And basically what debt consolidation means is you try and roll all of your debt into one, into one easy repayment, really. And the most common way people do this is to bundle up all of their consumer debt, car loans, personal loans, credit card loans, whatever, and take out a loan against a home equity if they have a home. And the home loan interest rate is often lower, right? So the trick here is that it spreads across a long term, 20 or 30 years of your home loan debt, whilst your consumer debt is short term debt. So if your debt consolidate, you might reduce your payments on a monthly basis. So you get better cash flow. But I would strongly consider paying that portion off as quickly as possible and not drag it out for the length of the home loan. Otherwise, you may find that you actually pay more interest over the long term. Now, to highlight this principle, let's use an example. Coming back to Amy again, 39-year-old physiotherapist with an income of $110,000. She has a home mortgage of $500,000, interest rate of 2.5%, and monthly principal interest payments of about $2,000. She has a credit card debt of about $6,000 with an interest rate of 16%, and a car loan of $20,000 with an interest rate of 6%. Her monthly repayments for the credit card is around $125. Now, it turns out if she used this monthly repayment, she would actually never pay off the credit card debt or it'll take a really long time. But let's just use that as an example. And a monthly repayment for a car is around $387 at a five-year term. Now, she values a home loan uh, during evaluation process by her bank at about $750,000. But she's only got a mortgage debt of about $500,000. So she asked the bank if she can borrow some money using a home equity to pay off her personal loan and credit card. The bank does a few assessments and says, yep, that's fine. You've got $26,000 in personal loans and credit card debt. So we're happy to lend you that $26,000 and we'll just add it to your home mortgage. And now you owe $526,000 plus or minus a few few fees here and there. No, it's still within the 80% total value. So she avoids the LMI, which is a loan mortgage loan mortgage insurance, and she pays off her consumer debts with that extra money. And that funding just comes into a bank account. Is this a good idea? Now, her monthly repayments increases from $2,000 to 
to $2,079 rather than, you know, paying off $2,000, right? But now it's spread over 30 years and a total interest you would pay is $222,201. But if she didn't do this and just paid off a home loan before debt consolidation, she would have paid $211,218. So now with the debt consolidation, she pays an extra $10,983,000 in interest extra if she dragged it out for 30 years. Now, supposing she never debt consolidated, supposing she just paid off her credit card and personal loan off in the usual time frame, how much interest would she have paid? Now, for the credit card, let's assume she paid it off within three years, she would have paid $1,594 in interest. For a car loan, she would have paid $3,199 in interest for a five-year term. So the total interest she would have paid combined would only be around $4,793. But remember in the previous example, where she debt consolidated and she dragged it out to 30 years, she would have paid $10,983. So in Amy's case, although it sounds great to debt consolidate, it's actually costing her more in the long run. So the moral here is if you do debt consolidate, because it helps your cash flow situation, I suggest you try and pay a similar amount close to what you were paying if you didn't debt consolidate. That way more of the principal gets down and you pay it over with less interest. But the reason why people debt consolidate is not because they can't afford to pay the personal loans or credit card, it's because they've got a cash flow problem. And I guess the flip side of it is some people might say, well, hang on, you've now increased your mortgage repayments just by $79, but you would have saved from a cash flow situation $387 and $125, so around, uh, you know, 487 around 500 something dollars every month in cash flow. What I'm suggesting is pay that 500 bucks onto your mortgage to try and reduce your mortgage debt as much as possible. But some people may argue, and it's a valid argument, hey, I'll take that $500 and just invest it in the stock market every month. And over 30 years, that's going to make me more money. And absolutely. But the only thing you need to consider is risk tolerance and guaranteed returns. The stock market or investing is not guaranteed. And if you're happy to play that and you're happy to take that risk, that's fine. But the moral here is debt consolidation is not always a great strategy, but it can work in some circumstances provided you do your numbers right. Now, that's about it for this episode. Invest or pay off debt. There's a few steps that we've covered and hopefully that gives you a little bit of principles about how to go about analysing the situation. And I hope this clarifies the ever-important question, invest or pay off debt? Now, the reality is you probably should be doing both for low-interest debt, but definitely get rid of that high-interest debt as soon as possible. And please don't get buy now, pay later. It's not a great strategy. Buy now, pay now. Now, remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using. And if you want to leave five stars on all the platforms, that's even better. But please leave a review because that really helps engage listeners and love reading reviews. And if there's something in the review, I might even read it out live. Or if there's a question in it, I'm happy to answer it live. So really interested in that. The more ratings and reviews you leave, of course, is more people get access to these podcasts. So please keep them coming. This is Devraga from My Millennial Money Medical. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe.
We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 